This evening's scripture is from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one, an one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good evening and welcome to Grace Downtown. My name is Jason. I am the downtown campus pastor here and we are so glad that you've chosen to worship with us tonight. The first thing I want to do is dismiss the preschool and kindergarten kiddos. They can head on back with Marissa. She's right there on the stairs. For the first time in a year, our preschool and kindergarten class is back. So that's a, an exciting thing to be able to get started back up. Um, we are continuing on in our series through the book of Hebrews, where we have hit chapter 10. Each week, we're going through a certain section, a particular section of the book of Hebrews. We took a little break last week for our Easter sermon. And really, over the next two weeks, we are going to be firmly in Hebrews chapter 10. But we are also talking about the vision that God has given us as a church. There's a couple of different reasons that we're doing that. One is we're getting to the point where uh, not everyone is back meeting in person, but the majority of people are doing so. And so we want to talk about where we're headed as a church and make sure that we are continuing to build on a strong foundation for what God has called us to as a church. But the other reason that we're talking about vision is because of where we find ourselves in the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 10, that uh, verses 19 through 25 that Andrew just read, we read that because of what Christ has done for us, we now have a new and living way. We have resurrection power. We have the blood of the Lamb accredited to us. We have a new way of life. We have full assurance of faith. We can have confidence. And then the author of Hebrews goes on to tell us what kind of lives we should live in community with one another because of the reality of what Christ has done. So this sermon and next week's sermon are going to be a little bit different. What you're used to is about 30 minutes of opening up the scriptures and going verse by verse through what the word says and then having a few moments of application. Well, the next two sermons are going to be a little bit more like 50-50. We are certainly going to be spending time in God's Word and talking about what the, the Word says, but then we are going to spend a good deal of time talking about application for us as individuals, but also for us as a church. As you came in, you got a sermon outline. We don't normally have one of those available, but for this week and next, I wanted to provide those so that we can continually go back to these concepts that we're talking about here tonight as a church. So uh, if you would pray with me and for me, we will jump into God's word together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity that we have to worship you. God, thank you that um, as you are redeemed, we can say that we are redeemed because of what you have done. We can say so together as a community. God, thank you that the reality of Easter is not just a one-week event, but it is really the reality of our lives. 
because of what Christ has done. Thank you that we can move forward in confidence and full assurance of faith, not because of what we have done or because we go to a great church, uh, but we can move forward in full assurance and confidence because of what you have done for us, Jesus. God, you have laid many things on our hearts as leaders for uh, the current reality that we find ourselves in, as well as the future of Grace Community Church and Grace Downtown. And God, I pray that you would speak exactly what you want each one to hear here tonight. God, I pray that it would not be my words, but it would be your words, Holy Father. And I pray that your spirit would move powerfully and remind us what Christ has done for us tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So open with me, if you haven't already, to Hebrews chapter 10. And we're just going to talk very briefly about the verses that Andrew just read for us. We're going to be talking about these verses over the next three weeks. So we're not going to be able to do it its full justice in one week. It's really going to take three weeks to unpack this. So just want to highlight three things that we find in this passage that is pertinent to our conversation here tonight. So in Hebrews 10, 19 through 25, the first thing that we note is the first word, therefore— which means we can refer back to see what was before that. And before that, we hear what Christ's sacrifice means for us, what Christ's blood shed on the cross means for us, what his resurrection, the fact that he was God, what that means for us, his bodily death, his bodily resurrection. Because of that reality, therefore, the things that the author is about to say are true. In verse 20, we read that by the new and living way that he opened to us through the curtain— that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, so here we are reading what the new covenant is like. That's what the author is wanting us to focus on. This is the new covenant. This is the new way that God interacts with his people. No longer does the Spirit live in a tabernacle or the temple or in the Ark of the Covenant. The Spirit of the living God lives in his people. And no longer do men make sacrifices of animals to uh, take on their sin. They don't make sacrifices of animals to atone for their sin and be right with God. Jesus has made a once and for all sacrifice on their behalf. They also no longer go to a priest to offer their prayers or their sacrifices to God. They now have a great high priest whose name is Jesus, who made a once and for all sacrifice, rose from the grave, ascended to be with the Father, and now is interceding for his people. There is a new covenant. There is a new way that God interacts with his people. The author here wants us to focus on that and wants us to see that it is a new and a living way. It's a living way because Jesus is alive. It's not a religion that's based on just something that someone did back in history, but now that religious leader or that prophet has died. It's because we serve a living God. And because Jesus died in the flesh, but he also rose in the flesh. So now we have a new and living way. It's the first thing that we need to focus on as we jump into tonight. The next thing you note is that the author here calls the audience brothers. The word that he uses here for brothers does not mean male biological siblings. The word that he uses here, we typically translate it brethren. We don't often use that term anymore, brethren. It's a quite formal term. But basically what it means is brothers and sisters in Christ. It means spiritual family. Here the author is reminding those that are reading this scripture, first off, they're reading it in the context of community. They're opening it up and reading it in house churches and in churches like gatherings here tonight. 
but he is reminding them that they're spiritual family. There, there is something that connects them that is actually stronger than blood and stronger than biology. It's the fact that they have a new and living way together, that the spirit of the living God lives inside of each one of them. So he says, brethren. This word, brethren, is used 343 times in the New Testament. You could say that the fact that we're brothers and sisters in Christ is a big deal in the New Testament. The authors and Jesus himself are consistently reminding God's people that they're spiritual family. In verse 19, we read, since we have confidence to enter the most holy places by the blood of Jesus— And in verse 22, we read, let us draw near with a true heart, with full assurance of faith. The author is telling us that in Christ and what he has done for us, we find everything that we need. We have confidence. We have assurance. It's what we're longing for. I've spent a lot of time over the last few years trying to improve my own leadership by understanding the gifts that God has given me, but also understanding the gifts of others. So I've spent a lot of time studying personality profiles. So whatever your favorite is, whether it's Enneagram or Myers-Briggs or Strength Finders or whatever it is, or if it's an animal, some test that tells you what animal you are, um, whatever it is, um, which Harry Potter character you are, you know, there's a lot of different ways you can figure out what your personality is. But in each of them, a good one will tell you what the weaknesses are of your personality. And have you noticed that many of the weaknesses sound alike? It's because at the core, when we are walking in weakness, when we are walking in fear, we struggle to feel accepted by others. We struggle to feel that we have the assurance that we are okay. We live our lives with a fear of failure or of being accepted by other people. And no matter what our strength is or what our personality profile is or what our history is, there is something inside of us that struggles to feel accepted, struggles to feel loved. We fear failing. And here the author is telling us that those fears are squelched not by us mustering up our own strength or our own courage or our own determination, but it comes from the assurance that we find in Christ. And because of that, verse 23 says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. We need this assurance. We need this confidence that comes not from our performance. Who's faithful? He who promised is faithful. It's not in our ability to keep our promises, but it's in his ability to keep his, and God always keeps his promises. Our assurance, our hope, our faith is found in what Christ has done for us. And friends, we need this. Someday, you are going to fall flat on your face, and nothing is going to make any sense. Even your faith is not going to make sense to you in the same way it has before. God may seem silent. The things you believed before, you may find hard to believe. Maybe you can't even utter the thoughts or words to pray. If this hasn't happened to you already, it will, and possibly multiple times over, where you find yourself flat on your face, not knowing up from down. The author here is saying when we hit those moments that it's only what Christ has done that can keep us from wavering. 
this leads us to living certain, a certain kind of life. And we live that life together. Look with me at 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Here we are told to consider how to stir one another up. Consider how to stir one another up. There's actually just about every Bible translation translates this phrase, stir one another up, differently. But in the Greek language, it's telling us two things. When it says consider, it's telling us to do something in a premeditated way. That means think ahead. That means don't go by the seat of your pants, but premeditated. Think through in advance. That's what the word consider means. And then when it says stir one another up, it means intentionally provoking. Intentionally provoking. Now this is a positive provoking most of the time. Sometimes it's more of an admonishment. When I tell my kids don't provoke one another, it's usually because they're making one another mad. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about a premeditated consideration of how we can encourage one another. Encourage one another towards the things of God. The author of Hebrews here is telling us to take fellowship and community very seriously. Not to do it accidentally, not to do it flying by the seat of your pants, and not to take it casually. But to consider, with a premeditation, how you can intentionally stir one another up towards love and towards good deeds. Here the author is saying that this community is vital. It's not a supplemental, maybe sometimes thing when we feel like it. That it is a vital part of our lives. In fact, he says some people just give up doing it altogether. There's reasons for that. We're going to talk more about that in two weeks when we talk about suffering. But he's saying here that it takes an intentionality and that it is vital for us. It is vital for us like drinking water is vital to us. But instead, often we treat fellowship as a supplemental vitamin. How many of you take a daily vitamin? Not even half of us. Okay. We have a nutritionist here. He's saying tonight, and he'd like to have a word with you afterwards. I take a vitamin every single day. I have no idea if it's doing any good. But smart people say it's a good idea, and it's better than eating salad. So I take a vitamin. But it's, it's a sup— The nutritionist would like to talk to me after the service now. It's, it's a supplement to my life. I don't really notice in the short term or the long term whether I've taken it or not. That's often how we treat fellowship and biblical community. But instead, the author here is describing it as water. If you don't drink water, you're going to feel it. If you are not ex experiencing intentional, premeditated biblical community, your life is going to start feeling it put together a slide here that shows us where we're headed the next three weeks. The next three weeks tonight, we're going to talk about gospel truth and community in light of what we've just read in Hebrews 10. Next week, we're going to talk about what it looks like to be on a gospel mission uh, together. And then week three, we're going to talk about suffering well. This is what Hebrews 10 lays out for us, and this is important for us to think about as a church. So Hebrews 10 is our jumping off place, but I'd like you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. We're not going to read every verse from Ephesians chapter 4, but we are going to walk through it to take a look at what gospel truth 
and gospel community looks like and how we can do this premeditated, intentional stirring one another up. So Ephesians 4, I would like to read verses 1 through 3 with you. Ephesians 4 and verse 1, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Here, Paul tells this church in Ephesus to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. Their calling to follow Christ, to be like Christ, to follow in his footsteps of doing the will of the Father. He, he's saying that they need to walk in a certain way, in a new and living way, using the language of the author of Hebrews, that there's a new way that they should walk in light of what Christ has done for them. And in the first three chapters of Ephesians, he's been laying out what the gospel is and, and what it means and what Christ has done. And because of that, now he's going to re- write three chapters about the way they should live their lives. And here you see it starts with a personal thing, walking in a manner worthy of your calling. But before the sentence is even over, Paul is telling us what it looks like to live this out in community. Look at how it changes from the individual to the collective. He says with humility, gentleness, patience, it's easy for me to be humble and gentle when I'm by myself, right? If I'm just thinking about me, but then when I start thinking about others, as I start interacting with others, all of a sudden walking in a manner worthy of my calling and walking in the fruit of the Spirit becomes a lot harder, right? Have you ever noticed that the fruit of the Spirit that Galatians mentioned, most of it has to do with how we interact with other people? Here, Paul is saying that for us to walk out our faith in a manner worthy of Christ, we must do so together in community with one another. He's describing here a personal peace that comes from following him and then a corporate community peace that comes from the way we treat one another in light of the gospel. But here's the problem. Our society and often even us in the church are not experiencing the full benefits of this new and living way that we find in Christ. We'll start with the society. Our society is definitely not experiencing the peace and the good news that comes in light of the gospel. In the year 1900, the life expectancy for an American man was 54 years old in the year 1900. 121 years ago, the life expectancy was 54 years, which is a little frightening for this 41-year-old. I'm like, in the twilight years, put me in a retirement home, right? In the year 1900. In the year 1900, the life expectancy was 54. In the year 2000, the life expectancy was 79. Every year from the year 1900 till the year 2000, the life expectancy of an American male rose and continued to get older and older. And then in the year 2000, the life expectancy started going down. And it has continued to go down. And they have now done longitudinal studies of over the last two decades to figure out why is the life expectancy going down? And you know the number one reason that the life expectancy is going down? Deaths of despair. Deaths of despair. There are three main culprits of deaths of despair. The first one is pretty self-explanatory. A completion of suicide, the taking of one's own life. 
The second is alcoholism and alcohol abuse and the effects of abusing alcohol. And the third is opioid addiction that leads to overdose or suicide. 20 years ago, I listened to a medical ad that said that opioids was totally safe, should be prescribed more, and had no side effects. 20 years ago. 450,000 Americans have died from opioids in the last 20 years. Deaths of despair. It is now the second leading cause of death among millennials. Deaths of despair. It's because we are not finding meaning in this world. And we're not finding meaning because we don't have a sense of rootedness. We don't feel a sense of connectedness to others. So we turn to the things of this world to try to pacify us, to try to grab onto any pleasure we can, or to just try to numb out so we don't think about our lack of roots, our lack of connectedness. Maybe you're thinking, well, this isn't, that's not me. You're not describing me. That's really sad that that's happening. Yeah, well, the other thing is that maybe you become successful. And maybe you don't experience despair immediately. Maybe you accomplish everything that you set out to do. And then you find that meaningless too. That's what the book of Ecclesiastes taught us as we went through it last year. You can achieve everything you set out to achieve and you look around and you realize you're still not happy. Plus you have student loans to pay off. Degrees and comfort and means may lead to success, but it does not lead to contentment. We find ourselves in a society where we are pontificating about how to change society and how to fix society, how to bring justice to society. But as C.S. Lewis says, our search for large-scale solutions often serve as a distraction so we don't address our private problems. We have a serious problem in our own hearts because we're not finding meaning, we're not finding rootedness, we're not finding connection. We need something that gives us personal peace and a meaningful connection to God and to others. Both in our world, but also we need to grab a hold of something that gives us personal peace and meaningful connection in God's church. Next, we need a corporate peace as well. Zacchaeus that we talked about last week at Easter and the woman with the issue of blood were both personally healed and restored to a place of healing, but they were also then connected to something bigger than themselves. They were connected to a community. They were restored to a place of fellowship. This is what we need as well, but we don't find it in our world. We have a serious lack of connection going on. Many years ago, some men and women got together to try to solve the problem of loneliness. They had created something that they thought would help some college students, uh, but they wanted to expand it so that people could have a better sense of connection. So they put their heads together and they came up with what we now know as social media. It was invented, it was put together first so college kids could keep up with their friends after they moved away, but then became something that 
spread out to the larger society, and the stated purpose of it was to help people feel a sense of connectedness. However, 20 years later, there is yet to be a study that says that social media is good for us. And in fact, all of the studies continue to say it is one of the leading causes um, uh, in our society of despair, anxiety, and a sense of being disconnected. We continue to come up with human innovations to try to feel a sense of connection, and it's taking us in the opposite direction. We need something that brings us personal peace, but also meaningful connection to others. This corporate lack of peace comes from a lack of connection over meaningful things. So, where do we find this personal peace? Where do we find this corporate peace and this connection over meaningful things? We are to find it in the body of Christ, in biblical community. Not a group of people coming together and all agreeing or being uniform in the way they look or speak or their socioeconomic status, but being connected around Jesus and the things of Jesus and his call on our life. We need biblical community, not a social club, not a club where everyone looks the same, speaks the same language, and is of the same educational status, but a group of people that come together because of Jesus. And that is the one thing that they have in common. What we're looking for is unity, not uniformity. A true biblical community. A couple of examples of this. The first one is found in the disciples of Jesus. The disciples of Jesus, without Jesus, would have killed each other. They would not have been friends. They were natural-born enemies. Peter, who was a hot-headed zealot, put with Matthew, the tax collector, which we learned what people thought of tax collectors last week. They are now put together and traveling all over the known world, spreading the gospel, and the only thing that they have in common is Jesus. It's a picture of biblical community that is founded on unity found in Jesus and not on uniformity or agreement about politics. Another example is from my own community group. In the last year, there have been so many challenges in our lives, in our community, in our churches even, and it's been hard to talk about things that are are challenging or things that bring disagreements or things that are controversial. One of the most meaningful things that I have experienced in community in the last year was two weeks after George Floyd was murdered and there were protests in Iowa City, our community group leader, which is not myself, I'm not bragging on myself, our community group leader, we all got on a Zoom call and he wanted to have an open share time about how people were feeling about what was going on in our community. And we got on that Zoom call and we started sharing our experiences, sharing our thoughts, and people were being pretty honest. And one person shared, our friend, our very good friend, is a police officer in Iowa City, and he was one of the ones holding back those that were protesting and um, that were walking down the streets and walking towards the highway, and he feared for his life, and it was very scary for him. Then another couple in our community group said, actually, we went to the protest, and things started taking a turn in a direction that we didn't agree with, and we got scared, so we turned away. 
So you had folks talking about our police officer friend had this experience and this other couple said we were a part of the protest and here's how we felt. And we had this open and honest discussion about how none of us really had easy answers for what was going on in our society. What a beautiful moment of biblical community. It wasn't because of our sameness, but it was because of our Savior that we found unity, that we found a space to talk about challenging things. In John 17, one of the last things that Jesus prays is for our unity. And he prays to the Father, may my people, may my disciples experience oneness just as you and I have experienced oneness, Holy Father. We need a community that gives us a meaningful sense of connection. I love this picture that the author Jake Metter gives of what it looks like when biblical community rallies around Jesus. He says it looks like liberated Christians set free to a life of service and sacrifice by the death and resurrection of Christ, which could be the glue that holds homes, neighborhoods, and companies together. Found in the gospel. So what do we do in light of this? We don't have time to walk through this, but I encourage you to walk through the rest of Ephesians 4 because it lays out for us what biblical community and action looks like in light of the gospel. I'll make a few references back to it, but how are we going to do this? We're going to skip ahead a couple slides, Daniel. Thank you. How are we going to do this? First, we are going to be people of gospel truth. How do we walk in a manner worthy of our calling? How do we have that personal sense of peace that we can find in the gospel. The first one is living according to biblical truth. Biblical truth does look like a pastor standing in front and preaching verse by verse through scripture, but that is not all gospel truth looks like. Gospel truth is also individual people seeing that hope and peace and joy can only be found in Christ, and they take up their cross, and they take up Jesus' invitation to follow after him. Jesus says, take up your cross, die daily to you, to your desires, to your flesh, and follow me. He says, the only way we can find true life is realizing that we first have to lose our life, lose our sense of what life is all about, lose our sense of success, lose our sense of comfort in order to find what true life looks like. So first, to be people of gospel truth, we need to take up our cross. I have done a lot of biblical counseling over the last eight years of people in this church, other churches, and in our community. And I can tell you all the difference in the world has nothing to do with my ability as a counselor or the good information that I take them through. It has everything to do with whether they have come to me and been willing to die first. Those that have said, my desires are put to death and I just want to follow Christ, it ends up really well. Those that have not made that decision, it goes really poorly. The same is true of my life. Every day that I take up my cross and I put to death my desires and my flesh, the Lord does a work in my life. Every day that I live according to the flesh is ruin and discontent. First, we have to take up our cross. If Jesus is who he says he is, If he really rose from the grave, if the gospel is really true, then we can walk in a manner worthy of our calling and we can walk ahead with confidence, with full assurance, in an unwavering manner. 
First, we need to decide as individuals, are we willing to take up our cross and follow him? Because if church is about us, we're going to be disappointed. If community group is about us, then we're going to be disappointed. But if it's about Jesus, he has good things in store for us. We also need to come up with a Bible reading plan. We need an intentional plan for steadily being fed from God's word. I would encourage each of you to consider what is a, my Bible reading plan. Don't worry about if it's not for a full year. Don't worry about finding exactly the right one. Just decide what you're going to read tomorrow and set out your Bible on the table with it open to that. So as the coffee is kicking in, you can just go ahead and jump into scripture. We need a Bible reading plan. And likewise, we need an equipping plan. What does it look like for you to be equipped as a disciple, to walk in a manner worthy of your calling? What is missing in your life? Is it information? Is it someone discipling you? Is it uh, this Bible reading plan that I'm talking about? Is it biblical counseling for you? Is it going through a certain study about an area you don't know much about? We need to have an intentional equipping plan for our lives. We lay out plans for physical fitness. We lay out career goals. We lay out our schedule for school. We need to be intentional about a spiritual growth plan of equipping in our lives. This is what it looks like to be people of gospel truth. We can't say we're people of gospel truth because somebody gets up here and talks about the Bible every Sunday. It's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle of discipleship, of following Jesus, of learning from him steadily in his word day by day. We need to start here with these disciplines and these intentionalities when it comes to being people of gospel truth because we need good news that gives us personal peace. Ephesians 6 says the gospel of peace gives us readiness. The gospel brings peace and it makes us ready for whatever comes our way. When we are people of gospel truth, we then must become people who walk out our faith in the church and outside of the church. Right theology can never lead to apathy. Let me say it a different way. If we are apathetic in our faith, there is something wrong with our theology. Right theology can never lead to apathy, and if we are apathetic, there's something broken in our theology. Because when I read my Bible, and when I see God's plan for the world, I see that he's got a plan for me, and there's something that he wants me to do today. And it's usually different than my plans, and it's always better than my plans. He's got things for us to do. We need to be people of the word, not just in thinking, but in action. And when we do, we will start to be a gospel community. So what does gospel community look like here at Grace Downtown? The leaders in the room are going to be so tired of me saying this. They probably already are. And now you, as the rest of the church, are going to get tired of me saying this. But we're just going to keep saying it. When it comes to gospel community, we want to do things that are simple, organized, and relational. We want to keep things simple, we want to do things in an organized way, and we want to set people up to have meaningful relationships with one another. 
That's what biblical community looks like moving forward at Grace Downtown. This will bring a clarity. This will bring a clarity to staff. This will bring a clarity to leaders. This will bring clarity to you as you live out biblical community. We want to be clear to make sure that we understand what is being asked of us. We want to be clear as we read Ephesians 4 that we know what Ephesians 4 looks like at Grace Downtown. We want to bring that clarity for you. He has given me that clarity over the last year. Over the last year, I have spent more time in Ephesians chapter 4 than any other book of the Bible, and he just keeps taking me back to it. And I have been 100% sure about three things in my life. Uh, One was going into ministry. Two was marrying my wife. Third was moving to Iowa. That one's still a shocker to me, but it happened here 15 years later. And the fourth has started to take place over the last year. As I have read Ephesians 4, God keeps showing me very clearly what he wants my life to look like in light of Ephesians 4. And in light of that, he is starting to give me more and more clarity on what he wants us to look like because of Ephesians chapter 4. I can't give you the specifics of exactly what everything's going to look like all the way down the road five years from now, but he is showing me step by step the steps he wants me to take, and he's starting to show more of us the steps he wants us to take and giving us clarity of what it looks like to live out Ephesians chapter 4. So we are going to do biblical community in a simple, organized, and relational way. What we are looking for here is connection with one another and not just busyness. We've taken a look now over the last few weeks at what it looks like to be eagerly awaiting the return of Christ and not giving up the habit of meeting together as we see the day approaching, the day of Christ's return. What the scriptures remind us of time and time again is that life is short and we don't have time to play church. We don't have time to play church. We don't have time to just be busy. God has not asked us just to be busy. He's asked us to be faithful. And then he will provide the fruit. So what we're looking for here when we talk about biblical community is meaningful connection with other believers instead of just busyness. Here's a few diagnostic questions that you can ask yourself to determine, are you experiencing meaningful connection in the body of Christ or just busyness? When's the last time that you ate a meal with other believers slowly? When is the last time you called up a brother or sister in Christ and said, I really want to see this movie. Will you go see it with me? Well, bad example this year. But there's something I want to do, socially distanced with a mask on. Do you want to go and do this thing with me? When is the last time that you just had someone over because you really wanted to get to know them, because you really wanted to spend time with them, not because it was strategic or because one or the other of you had something specific to talk about. When is the last time you just sought out meaningful connection? Guys, we need to keep this simple. We need to keep this simple 
and spend time with people we love and spend time with people that love Jesus and spend time with people that stir us up towards love and good deeds. You know those people in this church that when you spend time with them, you both just feel better about life? Spend more time with those people. Keep it simple. I and the other leaders will help try to keep us organized, but keep it simple. Spend time with people you love for the sake of the gospel. I want to encourage each of us to identify three kinds of people in our lives. Three kinds of people. One, who's investing in you? A community group leader, a counselor, a discipler, a mentor, an older couple that's in your community group. Just somebody. It doesn't have to be super formal. It doesn't have to be one-on-one. But who's investing in you? That's one kind of person you need in your life. The second kind of person you need in your life is peers. People in a similar life stage that you can just do life with together, experience the hardships of going through your life stage together. That's the second kind of people we need in our life. The third kind of people that we need in our life is people that we are investing in. Again, it doesn't have to be super formal. It doesn't have to be one-on-one, but who are we investing in? I think that's what Ephesians 4 looks like. When Ephesians 4 says that the whole body is equipped to minister to one another, it says that they speak the truth and love and they grow up in every way into him who is the head, meaning Christ. This is what it looks like when people are ministering to one another. They have relationships in their life where they're being ministered to. They're ministering alongside others and they have people that they are ministering to. This is what it looks like to do things in a simple, organized, and relational way. It's identifying these kinds of people and spending more time with them. Let's go back to Hebrews 10 and consider how to provoke one another towards love and good deeds. What is the premeditated intentionality that you need to have towards community? Perhaps this is a new scenario for you, or perhaps it's just a new intentionality and a premeditation to the community that God has already given you. Tim Chester, in his book called Total Church, he defines ministry as this. A lifestyle of word-centered activity that's judged in terms of growing Christians and gospel-sharing opportunities. That is well said. That's gospel truth being lived out in gospel community among people that are on a gospel mission. Ministry is a lifestyle of word-centered activity and judged in terms of growing Christians and gospel-sharing opportunities. The primary way that we do this is through community groups. Community groups are an opportunity for you to be in biblical community with one another. And I want to challenge us to make sure we're a part of community groups, but then also that we utilize them in an intentional way. There's two extremes that we could go on here. We could, on one hand, try to get everything that we need and find all three of those kinds of people in our life in community, and that may not always happen. The other end of things is that it's a group of people that studies the Bible together, but it doesn't really progress to the point of intentional provoking towards love and good deeds. So we need to think clearly about what community groups looks like. I want to encourage each of you, as you are in a community group, if you're not, please join one. You can talk to me afterwards about how to do that. But 
as we're in community, I'd like us to think through what role is community group playing in my life? For some of us, we're getting all three of those kinds of relationships and praise God. For some of us, it's just one of those kinds or two of those kinds. I want to ask you to consider, again, premeditated, intentionally thinking through these things. What are you experiencing in community and what do you still need to supplement with other things in your life? I want us to think this through and work through this together, what community groups look like. If we are doing things in a simple, organized a simple and organized way, it's going to free us up to relationally minister to one another. I do not have what it takes to accomplish Ephesians 4 in this church. Because that's not what Ephesians 4 is talking about. Pastors have one little verse in Ephesians 4 and the rest of the church gets the rest. (laughs) The pastors have an office in the church where they equip the saints to do the work of ministry. And then the rest of the chapter is all about what you do for one another. My job is to equip you to minister to one another. And that's when the spirit of the living God really does some amazing work in biblical community is when the people are ministering to one another. God has given this church everything that it needs because of you. Every gift that it needs to reach our community is found in this biblical community. Everything that you need to walk out your faith is found in this biblical community. And he wants to minister to you and through you in biblical community. What does it look like? What would it look like if we ministered more to one another and leaned into the gifts that God has given us? It would be more people operating in their sweet spot. It would be less meetings and more meaningful connection. Can I get an amen to less meetings? It would be new initiatives that the church is engaging in, not because the pastor had an idea, but because the people are actively living out their faith. It is people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people ministering to one another. It is more diversity, but more unity because of the gospel. And why do I say that it's more diversity? Because if we are reaching our community and being a true biblical community, we are going to look more and more like our community. And here in I Iowa City, there are students from 116 countries. If God moves in us in the way that I think he's calling us to, in five years, this is going to look like Jesus's church. If we do things our way and if we do things easily, we will continue to look like we look now and only gather around the things that we agree on and the things that are easy. We need to be reaching people where it gets harder and harder to have uniformity because that's not what we're after. We're after unity. We're after unity found in Christ, not found in us all speaking the same language or having the same skin color or being from the same socioeconomic status. We're here to build Christ's church We're here to live out a reconciliation lifestyle with one another. If we live out Ephesians 4, we're going to blow it and offend one another and sin against one another. But the gospel is big enough to bring reconciliation in those moments. 
this July heading into August, we are going to reconstitute our community groups and we're going to encourage everyone to re-sign up for community groups, re-enroll in their community groups or move to a new community group. We did that two years ago and it was really beneficial for us as a biblical community. We skipped last year due to COVID, but we'll do it again this year. The reason that we picked that season July heading into August is to mobilize ourselves to reach more people that move to this community in the fall. We want to be intentional. We want to move forward in a simple, organized, and relational way and be willing to welcome new people into the faith and into biblical community. This is what gospel truth and gospel community looks like at Grace Community Church. So why should we do this? Why should we do this? Why should we give this level of premeditation and intention to things? Why not just show up on Sundays? Why not just do what's easy? Because we want to be about making disciples who make disciples to the glory of God. That's what we want to be about as a church because we feel like that's the commission that Christ has given us, to go and make disciples who make disciples to the glory of God. As we minister to one another, as we experience personal peace and that corporate peace that Hebrews 10 and Ephesians 4 is talking about, we will look more and more like the people of God. To use the language of Ephesians, we will show the manifold wisdom of God as we love one another in biblical community. Jesus says, people will know that you are my my disciples by the love you have for one another. And we want more and more people to see the good news of the gospel in us. It's not just to bring us clarity. It's not just for us to add more people into the seats. It's so that God can be glorified and we can experience the joy of sacrificing our idea of life and accepting Christ's idea of true life. We live as people of gospel truth and we live in gospel community so we can be on a gospel mission. And that's what we're going to talk about all of next week. Would you pray with me? And before I pray, I'd like you to pray and ask God, what does he want you to do in light of what you have just heard? Take a moment and do that. Father, speak to each of us tonight and show us what you would have for us. Continue to show us moment by moment, day by day, week by week, year by year, what you would want us to do as your disciples. Show us what your true life looks like, Jesus. Help us to trust you enough to live the kind of life that you have called us to and to give up our idea of what true life looks like and be willing to lose our life to find the true life in you, Jesus. Show us how we may stir one another up towards love and good deeds. Show us the gifts that you have given us. Show us the part of the body that we are, that we may minister to one another. 
God, I pray that we would show the world the manifold wisdom of God, the constantly unfolding wisdom of God. God, we pray that we would see some from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people come to faith. We would be so bold, Jesus, to ask you to save some from each of those 116 countries represented at the University of Iowa. Show us what it looks like to reach people for the gospel and that we would gather around not what we have in common, but we would gather around the good name of Jesus and the commissioning that he has given us. Continue to give us wisdom as we try to live these things out in community with one another. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to close with a couple of things here, and then we're going to spend some time outside on the patio together to be in biblical community with one another. Um, Just as I mentioned on here tonight, I probably didn't have time to do it justice, but Ephesians 4 lays out how God has given different gifts and different offices to the church, and as each part does its part, the the body grows up into full maturity in Christ. Uh, That is um, the biblical community, living out their gifts and living out what God has called them to do in the body. But there are some times when we do have to need to add staff and we need to rearrange staff, which we've spent the last year making sure that we are all in the right place as staff. And one of the things that we did over the last year was clarify what we were looking for in our executive pastor role at Grace Community Church. We are one church now, Grace Community Church, but we have multiple congregations, one in North Liberty and one here downtown. And so for overall Grace Community Church, we have been clarifying what the role of executive pastor looks like. So um, over the last year, in December, we hired Josh Havman, and he is our, currently, he is our executive director. Um, And so I want to introduce him to you guys tonight so you can all know him. Some of you know him already as he and his wife Michelle are in one of our downtown community groups. But I want to introduce him so that you all know him and tell you a little bit about how his role impacts downtown. So Josh, if you want to come on up here. Um, So Josh currently is serving as our executive director. And he serves in a number of capacities, but his main job description is making sure that we as pastors and staff are all headed in the same direction. That all the different ministries that we are doing are connected around one common vision. So whether that's different departments or even different congregations and locations, he's making sure that we are all headed in the same direction. So we clarified that role and then we hired the right guy because Josh has been doing that since December and bringing a lot of great things to the table and a lot of connection and a lot of meaning to what we're trying to do. And so he has been a great asset to the body of Christ and to our staff team in that way. He personally benefits me as we meet once a week and just, you know, in in friendship and in fellowship, but he is also helping me clarify what we need to do as a downtown congregation to be and make disciples who make disciples to the glory of God. So he is helping me think through that and execute that downtown in a very direct and helpful way. And some of the confidence that I feel in us living out Ephesians 4 together has been 
uh, externally processing things with Josh and him telling me when I'm dumb. So I greatly appreciate his wisdom in my life and um, his uh, working with me side by side has really given a lot of direction and clarity to what we're trying to do downtown. So I wanted to introduce him to you so you all know who he is. Um, also wanted to let you know that he is also a candidate for a pastor at Grace. So he is now in a time of testing as a pastor. So uh, the hope is that in June he will transition to executive pastor here at Grace. Uh, the role of pastor is not something we take lightly here at Grace, and so we don't want someone to just be hired and they're a pastor day one. We want them to live in community, to serve in community, and we want the community to get to know them. So between now and June, if there's any reason that you think Josh is a jerk and you want us to know, please let us know, and we'll talk through that with you, and we'll have a conversation with him. Um, but he is a candidate for pastor, and um, he is being nominated to become a pastor in the month of June. Lord willing. So wanted to announce both of those things and also wanted to spend a moment praying for Josh as well. So would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you for Josh. Thank you for uh, the wisdom that you have given us to clarify the role of executive director here at Grace. And thank you for bringing us the right guy to serve in that role. God, thank you for how you've gifted him. Thank you for what he brings to the table. And thank you for the encouragement that he has been to me and the help to the whole downtown congregation that he has been, even if some are meeting him for the first time. We pray that you would continue to equip him with everything that he needs, that you would minister to him and through him in our church and in his family. Pray for a Michelle and their five kids as well, uh, that you would continue to show them um, what biblical community looks like for them and that they would find uh, their spots to serve at Grace and be a part of what's going on. Just thank you for them and their ministry that they have in their home and in the church. And God, I thank you for calling them to this role and to this biblical community for such a time as this. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks. Thanks for being here. Um, so a couple of closing things. Um, if you are not in a community group and you would like to be in one, please talk with me afterwards. Um, or you can email me and I would love to get you connected to a community group ASAP. Also, Part of discovering what your gifts are in the body of Christ is serving. We want to encourage you to serve. You can come up and talk to Victoria or myself about where you'd like to serve if you are currently not serving or would like to switch up how you are serving. You can also fill out a form online at our website, graceb3.org, and you can type in backslash serve21, serve21, and you can fill out a form there. We'll get in contact with you and make sure you are serving in the right spot. Um, lastly, there are donuts. Um, we wanted to have biblical community together. We didn't feel like we were ready for a full-blown meal. Uh, originally, we got ice cream, and then as Amy and I were talking outside, it's almost a nice day. So we decided that we would not do ice cream and instead would do donuts. So there are donuts out on the front porch. We encourage you to stick around, eat some donuts together, get to know one another, and experience some biblical community. Would you stand with me? We end each week on our feet to be reminded that God calls us to be his people, not just in his church, but in our community as well. He has called us to go out and share the good news that we know um, because the world is in desperate need of good news. So go forth into the world in peace. 
Be of good courage. Hold fast to that which is good and render to no one evil for evil. Strengthen the faint-hearted, support the weak, help the afflicted, honor everyone, and love and serve our Lord. Rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit and the blessing of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. May he be among us and remain with us always. Amen.